nature runs a very carbon-centric system, and of course, this is one of the reasons why there is no animal-less there is no animalless place on the planet, is because animals do several important functions. One is, especially herbivores, the reason they're you know that, that the that the lion's share of the animals on the earth are are plant eaters, is because plants need to be pruned. You know, plants, of course, are taking solar energy, converting it into biomass. They're, they're creating something that's as, that's as esoteric and and what un, unweighable as as you know, solar energy. You know, you can't go out and grab me a pound of solar energy. You know, you, yeah, right. you can't do it. But but isn't isn't it just it, it's just beyond description almost that these lowly plants can reach into that biosphere, grab that solar energy, and through photosynthesis convert it into something you put on a scale and it weighs a pound. They actually create matter out of this this kind of mystical substance. And those plants then go through a growth cycle cycle of germination, of course, and then rapid growth, and then eventually senescence, uh, the decay cycle. So the herbivore, the, the animal, eats that and prunes it, prunes that, that uh, aging biomass, prunes it back so that the plant can be freshened up and re, uh, restart its fast biomass accumulation cycle. Otherwise, the plant would just go into senescence, decay, and either die or implode on itself uh, because it needs that, that pruning, that freshening up. Uh, and then, of course, the animal you know, creates the manure. The animal, then the other role of animal besides pruning is to actually move the fertility around. The, so the plants and the, and the soil and the minerals tend to gravitationally move from, from hilltops to, to valleys. And so the birds and the herbivores, the animals then, are the only way nature has of, of consuming and pruning the solar energy accumulated and the, and the fertility that accumulates in the valley and moving it back up on the top to restart that, that fertility cycle. And, of course, the reason the animals want to roost and, and lounge on top of the hill is because of predation. So now you come into the carnivores, and the predation is what shoves the animals up because the animals want to be up on high ground where they can look out and see if they're going to be attacked. And so, you know, this, this is just a beautiful cycle, but, it, but it's, a, it's a very animal-plant, symbiotic, solar-driven, carbon-centric, in-source cycle. Nature doesn't move carbon around very much. In our system right now in, in agriculture, farms are viewed more like a factory where you bring raw ingredients in one end and you send, you know, something different out the other end. Rather than a circle, it's seen as a linear, a, a linear uh, chain of events. And so on our farm, we run it as a, as a carbon-centric uh, system where we grow our fertility from the inside out through animal management, through large-scale composting, you know, using uh, scrub scrub trees, uh, we chip those and use them as a as a carbon base for deep bedding and 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 compost, and and we we grow this fertility from the inside out, both the outside in. And when you give it such an eloquent explanation as you just did, you know, it seems like people that are in this field of work are into health and nutrition and a holistic system. You can see the beauty, the grace, and the, the ease at which this system kind of works itself. And then when you look at the linear fashion of agriculture that you just sort of described, 
it would seem that the price you would pay to running so counter to the natural flow of things would just be such a heavy price and, and just enormous in terms of the destruction that would wreak on the planet. You're right. Uh, this is this is what we call externalized costs, and we don't have an accounting system right now in our culture that that measures soil loss, uh, water depletion, aquifer depletion. Um, you know, the, the, the cost of the, what are there, 700 dead zones in the United States, both off the coast and, and internally. You know, uh, uh, contaminated groundwater, goodness, noxious odors. I mean, when you go by, you know, feedlots and, and there's just this, this fecal pall, you know, uh, going out three, four miles away. Um, and, and not to mention, you know, nutrient deficiency in, in what we're growing. Um, you know, we had our eggs chest tested, for example, for a Mother Earth News magazine, did a two-year study comparing pastured eggs to, um, you know, uh, regular uh, confinement factory farmed eggs, and you know, just on on they took about used about uh, twelve, you know, benchmarks of, of nutrients, and uh, I'll just take one, you know, folic acid, you know, the um, the regular egg, it's uh, forty-seven micrograms per egg, and ours uh, averaged. 1200 micrograms that's what wow. uh, 47 to 1200 that's like 40 40 times uh as much folic acid which you know if you're pregnant you know that that's a very very important uh, essential fatty acid for uh pregnancy and it goes down the list you know you can just you can just look at it you know vitamin e you know 0.97 milligrams compared to 7.37 that's whatever 800 percent more the, the, the fact is that the collateral damage of the industrial food system spans ecology, nutrition, healthcare, and therefore the economy. You know, you can't, you can't wreak this much havoc on the culture without a huge economic drain or economic leak. And getting into the realm of what we can do as consumers to, at the very least, defund the system and maybe at the very best topple the system, what can we do as consumers to protect ourselves from things like dangerous labeling practices? Because if this is the way that the industrial agricultural system works, surely the labels are not doing anything to help or protect us, and perhaps they could even be leading to, you know, health dangers and health risks. What can we do as consumers to protect ourselves from misleading labeling practices or substandard agricultural products, animal and plant alike? Yeah, well, that's another, another, uh, a fantastic question. I, I think my, um, I'll start, I'll start at the most, uh, extreme, extreme, uh, advice first and then move into the less extreme. The most extreme advice is, you know, know your farmer. And I know people immediately say, well, well, I don't have time, you know, but, but, uh, my goodness, you know, we've got time to go on Disney vacations, time to, you know, watch the sitcom on TV, time to go to the football game, time to take the little, you know, kiddos to soccer practice. You make time for what you are important and what you think is important. And the fact is that right now, as a culture, we are far more interested and spend more time learning and doting on the latest dysfunction in the Kardashian household. Yeah, then we do, you know, what's going to become flesh of our flesh and bone of our bone at six o'clock. So, you know, uh, turn off the TV and go on a, you know, on a treasure hunt. Uh, every area is just surrounded with wonderful, wonderful food. And, and, and if you're in a, a place that's extremely high populated and doesn't have a full bore, you know, food system, uh, there, then, then 
you know, take your vacation to go visit someplace where you, you know, that you're looking at checking out and, and, and join, join with others, join with, you know, groups that, that get it. Uh, Weston A. Price Foundation, for example, is a very good one. You can pool, you can pool resources, uh, that way. There are thousands and thousands of really high quality integrity farmers around the country, many of whom are not good marketers and they are desperate for two, three, four, five new customers who will really, you know, exit the supermarket and get in touch with their food supply. It might be at farmer's market, might be joining a CSA, it might be joining a, a metropolitan buying club, but, but essentially, you know, opt, opt out of the system. That's number one. Number two is to simply reduce buying processed food. You know, the, the, the big, one of the big, uh, cost and, you know, integrity issues here is the processing industry. And, uh, you know, Michael Pollan talks about this in, in his books. He says, shop the outside of the supermarket. In other words, the, the outside aisles, not the inner aisles, but the outside aisles. That's where all the, the fresh stuff is. That means that you have to get in touch with your kitchen. So, you know, the segue there is to start getting excited about domestic culinary art. You know, I wish I could clip my fingers and that, and that we would have integrity food and affordable food and plenty, you know, and blah, blah, blah. But the fact is that where we are as a culture is the culmination of billions and billions of individual decisions that we've made over the last, you know, several decades. You know, the decision to, for example, um, buy TV dinners or get takeout or go on the Caribbean cruise instead of staying home and making ketchup and salsa from the, you know, late season tomatoes that are going to waste. Those individual decisions add up over time. We are not going to extricate ourselves from the current situation without participating in it. We love to point fingers and say, well, if those people or if that, you know, if those guys or whatever, you know, them, those, those other people, you know, if they would just, you know, do what's right, things would be fine. Well, in a final analysis, as you know, those people are us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's only too true. And, and so, so, um, the question I do, I look in the mirror and say, so, so what am I going to do? How am I going to affect to be the change that I want to see today as we commit ourselves to it? Then, then we start adding up, uh, an integrity base of decision over time to, uh, you know, to change the course of the culture. And along the lines of assuming responsibility for our health, I'd like to get a few quick tips for our listeners who are interested in taking more responsibility for their health and maybe taking more responsibility for their own food production. So what are three quick tips you can give us, people who are interested in participating in their own food production? And let's assume that they don't live in an apartment, that they live in a place where they have at least a little bit of land to grow some food. What are your top three quick tips? Oh, such a great question. Um, well, for, first of all, I would say, utilize all of your carbon stream as a fertility stream your kitchen scraps your um your your uh, dust bin you know your your vacuum cleaner uh dust um hair from a haircut uh lawn clippings leaf drop uh you know just just start looking around your homestead or your place or your community and and become the carbon accumulator when everybody else is sending their leaves you know, off to the, uh, the city vacuum trucks. Um, instead, you know, go bring those home. Uh, that is all. Car- so what you're trying to do, first of all, is to, you know, to control your carbon. Secondly, 
would be to, uh, I think, collect rain, uh, move your, move your guttering, uh, you know, install a cistern or something so you have living water, um, you know, not, not city water, but now you've got water. Uh, a second one, certainly if you're in, or a third one, certainly if you're in a cold area, put a solarium on the side of your house so you can season extend. Um, then you're going to have, you can have water that you've collected. You can season extend on the solarium and that can also give you passive solar heat, uh, as well as grow your unseasonable, you know, cold season, you know, lettuces and, and mesclun mix, things like that in the, in the, um, off season. What you're trying to do is to turn your home, turn your home, your, your, your domicile, uh, into a, an energy and food asset as opposed to a dependency and a liability, you know, in, in the community. And you're going to be joining us for the upcoming Longevity Now conference, February 7th through February 9th at the Garden Grove Hyatt in Orange County, California. I know a lot of people are really excited to, you know, have you there and hear you speak. They've been followers of you, yours for some time and have read your books. What can our audience expect to hear from you? What kind of education do you plan on giving our uh, audience members? Yeah, well, I, I think, I think what I'll be, what I'll be talking about is how you can participate in this great land healing thing. You know, whether you, whether you own land or don't own land, everybody eats. And we essentially have the great blessing and privilege every day to be able to patronize a system that is either healing or, 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 um, sickening our, our landscape, our air, soil, and water. I think all of us would agree that the health of our air, soil, and water and our own bodies certainly is more important than whether you know, the Wall Street industrial averages go up or down today. And yet, and yet we don't measure these things in our life. We don't, you know, who gets up in the morning in the shower and thinks about the actinomycetes in the soil outside your, you know, room. And yet, and yet we are far more dependent on that kind of invisible, that, that esoteric invisible uh, realm than, than we are, you know, the Dow Jones industrial average. And so, uh, I'm not asking people to not make any investments or not be involved in business. I am just saying that uh, as we begin um, putting thought effort into how shall we then live, how, you know, how do we how do we live in a healing way? Um, it 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 automatically shoves us into a desire because it's it, it's the vision, you know, um, it, it's the vision of of healing that actually draws us to proper activity. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to browbeat somebody in their kitchen. You should do that. You know, no, I want, I want to draw them into their kitchen and into culinary arts and into, you know, creating a, a domestic larder and a, you know, and a food, you know, lying down at night surrounded by, you know, the, the community's abundance um, with your beloved, you know, that, that is that, in a time where so many people are fearful of running out of things and and un, and untrusting of things, to lie down with your beloved at night, proximate to to things that you've accumulated from from people you know, from places you visited, from things you can trust and appreciate that this is not a a scarcity world; it's an abundant world that invites us to participate as 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 healing, uh, um, you know, agents 
a, a, a masseuse, as if you will, you know, massaging this ecological umbilical. It's a, it's a great privilege. And, and I, I hope to inspire and to encourage folks to be drawn into that in, in their thinking. Yes, it's okay to think about the Dow Jones Industrial Average, but I want you to also think about how can I today participate in this great, you know, this great, uh, uh, uh ministry of healing, uh, that's going on, you know, right under my feet and in my own body every day. All right, thank you so much for joining us, Joel. And for those listening, there is still tickets available for the Longevity Now conference. We are getting pretty close to sold out. So this event will definitely sell out within the next couple of weeks. All our tickets will be gone. So if you're on the fence and you're thinking about coming, definitely check out our website, www.thelongevitynowconference.com. It is the premier health and longevity event in the country, hosted by David Wolf. We're going to have Joe Salatin, Dr. Joseph McCola. Dr. William Davis, the author of Wheat Belly. We've got Dr. Aubrey DeGray. We've got a phenomenal, phenomenal lineup of speakers that are going to be joining us. We've got well over 1,200 participants joining us. We've got an amazing selection of vendors. They're going to have literally the best health products ever. So we've got the best lineup ever, the best audience ever, the best vendors ever. Our host, David Wolf, leading the charge. So click on the links below. You can book your ticket and you can book your hotel room. If you want to check out what's going to be happening at the Longevity Now conference, including over $10,000 in free prizes that we give away every event, which if you haven't been to our event, it's going to blow you away because we just give away tons and tons of free stuff. Nobody walks out of the event without something that was thrown from the stage into the audience. We've got raffles. We raffle off before every presentation. People have won saunas, seller sizers. These are big ticket items. We've got massive giveaways. So come join us. We'd love to have you. Get involved in this remarkable event now.